Well, welcome to Graceway Baptist Church and our uh, Sunday School lesson. This is for July the 10th of 2022. And uh, we're looking at the life of Daniel and uh, we've subtitled it, Be Ready. And uh, the reason that we are uh, calling it that and looking at it like that is because life has a way of hitting us with things we're not really prepared for. And um, in the grace and the sovereign plan of God, I don't believe that we have to be that way. Um, I think that the Lord prepares us for the things that are coming up in our lives. Now, some people kind of have the idea that because God is loving and merciful and powerful, and indeed he is, that that means that if you walk with God, have enough faith, do the right things, then nothing bad will ever happen to you. And if that were true, then nothing bad would have happened to the Lord Jesus because he indeed did live the perfect life that we could never live. Other people, maybe you've seen this on social media, it seems to be kind of prevalent. They say that, uh, well, God will never give you anything more than you're able to bear. And so the idea is that anything that comes my way, I'm strong enough and I'm tough enough to handle it. And uh, that's not always true either. And so um, in the idea of being ready for something that we don't even know is coming, that's kind of an enigma. How, how in the world does that work? How can I be ready for something I don't know is getting ready to happen? And yet those things really are what life is made of. I think about um, on the 4th of July, those poor people up in um, uh, the Chicago area where uh, a gunman came out on a 4th of July at a parade and killed, as of the time of this recording, six people. There may be some more, who knows? And nobody saw that coming. And yet, from what I said earlier, that a sovereign God always prepares us for what is coming, how in the world can that be when we don't see it coming? It almost sounds kind of cruel to think of something like that. On the other hand, if you had been the mother or the father of a child that was killed in that shooting and to say, well, God will never put you through anything that you can't bear, I would imagine you would have some pretty harsh words to say in response to that because I don't know how anybody bears up under the loss of a child. And then when you add these tragic circumstances to it, it would appear to make it even worse. And so we go to the word of God and we look at the people of God and we say, is it true that we're never given more than we are able to bear? And I don't think you can substantiate that by the word of God. Uh, that usually is by taking uh, what Paul said to the Corinthians out of context where he said, no temptation has overtaken you except that which you are able to bear. And so uh, temptations for sin are uh, guarded, maybe watched over, controlled uh, by the Lord so that it's never more than we're able to handle. But that doesn't mean that life itself is like that. In fact, 
I think that you can go to the scripture and find a lot of the men of God in the Bible that were constantly put in situations that were more than they were able to bear. Now, the idea that God prepares us for things and gets us ready for things we don't even know are going to happen tells us that, uh, again, life is out of our control. It's out of our hands. And there are things that are getting ready to happen now in us or to us or around us that we can't even see, we can't even fathom. And yet you will find testimonies of God's people throughout the ages that go through a, a rough time and then they come out of it saying, now I know why A, B, and C happened six months ago or two years ago. It was getting me ready for whatever happened in this situation. And uh, that is happening now. You were being prepared now for some things that are going to happen that you don't even know about yet and uh, could never see coming. God is getting you ready, or at least, let's put it this way, giving you the opportunity to be ready. I think you do have a choice as to whether you're going to do anything with it or not. And um, sometimes we get caught off guard and we don't feel like we're really ready or prepared because we have not taken advantage of what God has given us in the meantime. Now, a case in point, a person sits in church, maybe they sit in, a, in your Sunday school class, and they go, what in the world does all this stuff about Daniel mean to me? I mean, I don't get anything out of it. I don't see any relevance to it. And so they don't come half the time. They don't really take it seriously. They don't really learn it. They don't really study it for themselves. They yawn their way through it or, again, just kind of skip it altogether. And then let's say that two years from now, something happens that is very similar to what Daniel went through and had they availed themselves to the teaching of the Word of God in church or in Sunday school, they would have been fortified. They would have been ready for it. But because they didn't see the need, they didn't do anything about it. Sometimes we can think about nutrition. We can think about taking care of our bodies. If we had known certain things were going to happen, we would have started earlier getting exercise, eating right, uh, vitamins, minerals, those type of things. But we wait sometimes until the symptoms actually come, and that makes it much more difficult. Sometimes it's even a little bit late. And so we uh, give you the idea in the life of Daniel of being ready. Now, as we go back and review a little bit of last week's lesson, you remember that Daniel was a teenager living in the kingdom of Judah, and Nebuchadnezzar came and conquered Judah and besieged it, even uh, tearing down the temple and carrying off the costly treasures that Solomon had made and put in the temple. And uh, Nebuchadnezzar puts it in the house of his God. He not only does this, but he takes the brightest and best of the, of the nobility, Daniel being one of them, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego being uh, three others that we know about, makes them eunuchs, educates them in the ways of Babylon and teaches them the language, renames them, 
Um, we always say Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, but it was Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And uh, their names were changed, and Daniel's too, as a part of a re-education process. And so uh, we learned about that, and we learned about what Daniel did. Now we're going to go a little bit further. What's going to happen to Daniel and to his friends. And right away, as we get into the next chapter, we find that the four of them are facing a situation that indeed is bigger than they are. It's a situation that they cannot handle. It's a situation that is going to, um, well, it's going to be frightening. It is going to be um, one of those agonizing things that they never saw uh, coming, because some things you might be able to prepare for. But the dream of a king, or might we say the nightmare of a king, especially a king like Nebuchadnezzar, who puts down an impossible challenge to all of his wise men, of whom Daniel and his friends would be considered a part of that. And if you can't tell me what is going on here, Nebuchadnezzar says. I'm going to rip you limb from limb. In other words, capital punishment. Now, how do you do that? And as we read through this, you're going to see how the wise men and the astrologers and the Chaldeans responded to this. And then you're going to see a contrast in how Daniel and his three friends responded to it and how God answered their prayer. Now, as we uh, think about this and the agony of it, um, uh, be careful as you read this that you don't just read through it knowing all of the answers, knowing how that it was coming out, that you don't see the agony and the uh, torture that is happening in the land, in the city of Babylon. And it's happening to Daniel and his friends, but it's also happening to the lost world all around him. These people are terrified. I think about um, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8 and 9. Paul said, For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the afflictions we experienced in Asia. Now listen to what he describes about his state. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength. See, bigger than who we are, bigger than what we're able to handle. And listen to what he says, that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. And so uh, we are seeing in this story much the same thing. The pressure, the tribulation, the trial put upon them, the threat, we might say, put upon them. And why did that happen? So that they might learn not to trust in themselves, but in the God who raises the dead. And I think you find that all the way through the book of Daniel. In fact, I think that you find that all through our lives. You are going through a series of tests a series of trials, and the goal of it is not to crush you, not to kill you, not to do that, but to teach you to trust in God instead of trusting in yourself. And that is harder than it seems. 
And uh, a lot of times we don't realize that we are trusting in ourselves or trusting in others or trusting in our circumstances until the Lord takes it away. And then we can hardly bear it. Sometimes we can't bear it. And like Paul, we despair even of life. But understand there's a purpose in all of this. So we will, uh, because we're covering so many verses today, we will make the point and then we'll read the verses that um, are attributed to that. Okay, number one, I want us to think about an agitated king. Now, when we say king, we're not talking about like Queen Elizabeth in England, who is a monarch, yes, but has very little power. Maybe, maybe a lot of influence, but very little power. Kings in, in the monarchy in this day, it was absolute power. Okay, they could tax, they could do anything they wanted to do with the money. They basically owned all of the real estate. They could do whatever they wanted with it. And they essentially owned the people. Every citizen of Babylon was kind of a quasi-slave and Nebuchadnezzar could order them and force them to do whatever he wanted to do when he wanted to do it. And it had to be done his way. And so we read in... Uh, uh, Daniel chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. Now in the second year of Nebuchadnezzar's reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams, and his spirit was so troubled that his sleep left him. I don't know if you've ever had that happen. This would be more of uh, like maybe in the, uh, we might call it a nightmare, uh, or at least a bad dream, and the kind of thing to where you wake up and you think about it so much you can't get back to sleep. Verse 2, Then the king gave the command to call the magicians, the astrologers, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans to tell the king his dreams. So they came and stood before the king, and the king said to them, I have had a dream, and my spirit is anxious to know the dream." Now, by anxious, it doesn't mean like a little kid might say, uh, uh, we're going to go to Disney World and I'm so anxious, I, I can hardly wait for that. This type of anxiety is the kind of anxiety that you have when you are troubled, disturbed, scared to death, that type of thing. A lot of high anxiety, we might say. And Nebuchadnezzar calls all of these people together. How would you like to be in the middle of astrologers and sorcerers and wise men and that type of thing. Uh, talk about a gathering of demons. And so uh, he tells them, I want you to tell me what my dream is. Now, uh, scholars debate whether Nebuchadnezzar, maybe this is a kind of dream that uh, we all have where we dream, it troubles us, it disturbs us, it wakes us up, and we look around to see if it's real or not. But in just a few minutes, we can't really remember what we dreamed. And uh, so some people say that Nebuchadnezzar is going, this dream obviously hit me hard and troubled my mind. What was it? And so he calls in these people and says, if you're worth your salt, worth your salary, if you are who you say you are, tell me what I dreamed. Others believe 
that this was a test, that Nebuchadnezzar by nature was a very suspicious man. And so these people are giving him advice. How does he know whether their advice is really from the gods or not? How does he know that their advice is really wise or not? And so he concocts this scheme. I'm going to, next time I have a dream, I'm going to call these people together and see whether they know what they're talking about. Because if they do, then they can tell me my dream. They can interpret it as well as uh, tell me what the dream was. And so um, when I think about all of this happening, this is not like a pandemic coming along that people know about. And they said there's some kind of a disease coming. This is not like a hurricane coming that satellites can watch for days and track it as it's coming through. This is not anything like that. This is not an economic situation that there are warning signs with maybe high unemployment or a stock market crash or something like that. Uh, think about it. Daniel and his friends and all of the wise men and astrologers and all of that are facing a crisis of a lifetime based upon what? A king who had a dream and it woke him up. This is going to be one of those changes in life that are going to be hard to handle. And uh, it is going to carry the threat of capital punishment because not of war or assassination attempt or anything like that, but a dream. Seems silly, doesn't it? But it wasn't, not in this situation, because Nebuchadnezzar had absolute power. And the dream, of course, was disturbing. But also, Nebuchadnezzar had the idea that it had meaning. Now, you and I may say, ah, doesn't mean anything. It's just a silly dream. They, they happen. But we're not there. And Daniel and his friends, if they tried to say that, then basically they're calling the king, you know, just somebody who is a, a worry ward on things, and, and that's not going to bode well for them. The king said, this has meaning. You tell me what it means and tell me what it is. And so uh, this is the situation that they're called together in, and it's, uh, well, it's what I would call kind of an impossible test. You know, tell me, give me some information. Tell me what this means. Tell me what I'm supposed to do and maybe I can help you. But the king says, nope, not going to do it. You tell me what my dream was and you tell me what it means and they better match up or you are going to be killed. Secondly, notice that the response of the wise men, anxious, inadequate and helpless anxious, inadequate, inadequate, and helpless. I heard about a man one time that went into a store in Philadelphia and uh, there was a fortune teller there. She was reading fortunes and um, she was charging money for it. And, you know, everybody was going in there and they were lined up to do it. And this man, when he walked in, he was a Christian man, and he walked in and he just over the crowd and over everyone else, he says to the lady, hey, lady, where's the Kleenex? Well, she was kind of annoyed and she ignored him. And he goes, hey, lady, where's the Kleenex? Kind of disturbing the crowd and disturbing the situation there. And she said, sir, you know, be quiet. And he goes, lady, where's the Kleenex? And she said, I have no idea. And he said, 
So everybody needs to go home. If she doesn't know where the Kleenex is, how does she know how to read the fortune of your life? Well, it's kind of a amusing story there. It's like the uh, person who uh, called the psychic hotline and when they answered, they said, uh, give me your name and your address. And the person called up and said, if you're really psychic, you tell me. This is what we find in this story. Get it? These people should have known if they really were the wise men, the sorcerers, the astrologers, you know, all of that, and they were worth their salt, they should have known and been able to easily tell them what's going to happen. But instead, this whole test makes them anxious. It points out their inadequacies and it shows just how helpless they really are. It says in verse four, then the Chaldeans spoke to the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream and we will give the interpretation. And the king answered and said to the Chaldeans, my decision is firm. If you do not make known the dream to me and its interpretation, you shall be cut in pieces and your houses shall be made an ash heap. Uh, Ouch, right? Verse six, however, if you tell the dream and its interpretation, you shall receive from me gifts, rewards, and great honor. Therefore, tell me the dream and its interpretation. He's pretty emphatic about that, isn't he? Verse seven, they answered again and said, let the king tell his servants the dream and we will give the interpretation. And so the king, apparently getting more aggravated, uh, said to them, I know for certain that you would gain time because you see that my decision is firm. If you do not make known the dream to me, there is only one decree for you. For you have agreed to speak lying and corrupt words before me and that till the time has changed. Therefore, tell me the dream and I shall know that you can give me its interpretation. The king says, I know you're trying to pull a fast one on me and you're trying to get more time and everything you say to me right now is a lie. Well, verse 10, that would be terrifying. Verse 10, the Chaldeans answered the king and said, there is not a man on earth. See them admitting their helplessness and their inadequacy. There is not a man on earth who can tell the king's matter. Therefore, no king, Lord or ruler has ever asked such things of any magician or astrologer uh, or Chaldean. It is a difficult thing that the king requests and there is no other who can tell it to the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. Ah, I'm starting to see a setup. I'm starting to see a showdown here. What is going to happen? So apparently the king did not really trust these sorcerers. He says, you've agreed to speak lying and corrupt words before me till the time has changed. Apparently he kind of thought maybe something was going on. Now in those days, kings really had to be careful because the only way you could quit being king was, I suppose you could resign, but uh, that was unlikely, a small chance of that, but death, that was 100%. And so there were people 
that were in the kingdom who were more than happy to bring that about. We call them assassins, right? Uh, that or a natural death by disease or something like that. So a king has to be on guard all the time, all the time. Maybe he had heard a report, maybe he'd heard a rumor that somebody among this group of wise, wise men or wise guys, we might call them, uh, were plotting against him. You know, so I'll put you in a situation where I can take you out before you take me out. And notice that they kept pressing. Tell us a dream. Tell us a dream. Tell us the dream. And then we can interpret it. And uh, the king says, here's how I'm going to know whether you're right or not. You tell me what the dream is. You're such hot shots. And so he's very firm on all of this. Tell me the dream and I will know that you can give me the interpretation. And notice how arrogant they are. Pride goes before a fall and a haughty spirit before destruction, the book of Proverbs says. And they say, if we can't do it, no one can. Aha, no one can. God's got something up his sleeve, we might say, to put them in their place. Now, number three, notice here that we find anger that is illogical. Now, the king is no better than these wise men are, but notice what he says in verse 12. For this reason, the king was angry and very furious and gave the command to destroy all the wise men of Babylon. So the decree went out and they began killing the wise men and they sought, uh-oh, Daniel and his companions to kill them. So they're lumped in to all of this. Now, they're not one of them. They're servants of the one true and living God, but they're lumped in. The king doesn't care. One God is good as another, and the God of Judah is just another one of the gods as far as he's concerned. And so he's got these men lumped into them as well. And the king's anger turns to rage, turns to rage at their inability, and uh, it fuels the fire of his paranoia, of his suspicion. And so he orders them all to be slaughtered. If you do not make known the dream to me and its interpretation, you shall be cut in pieces, that's pleasant, and your houses shall be made an ash heap. And I would assume when it mentions their houses, it's speaking about not only the physical dwelling, but their family members as well, children, grandchildren, that type of thing. And so this included, of course, Daniel and his friends. So that brings us to the last one. There's an agenda that's unseen. Now, whenever life throws a lot of junk at you, and it's more than you can handle, a rebellious child, drug abuse or alcoholism in your family, um, all of those kind of things that you go, what am I to do? What am I to do? How can I handle this? Always remember that for the child of God, there's a hidden agenda, an agenda that's unseen. Sometimes God is referred to as the unseen hand that is controlling all things. Let's look at verse 14. Then with counsel and wisdom, those are important, aren't they? Daniel answered Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon, he answered and said to Arioch, the king's captain, why is this decree from the king so urgent? Then Arioch made the decision 
known to Daniel. I wonder what Daniel's first thought was. I wonder how hard this must have hit him. Well, we can guess. You've gotten the phone call at midnight. You've been to the doctor and gotten a report. You've heard the bad news, maybe gotten a pink slip on your job. You've had the loan called in. You've had uh, all kinds of things happen to you. And uh, you know that feeling that where it hits you right in the pit of your stomach. You know, in the Bible, especially in the King James Version, you'll read about uh, bowels and mercies, you know, kind of gross putting bowels with mercies. Well, in those days, the Jews, what they thought was that the uh, intestines and the abdomen, that's where the seat of the emotions was. Uh, Have you ever been driving over a hill and seen a cop car and you look down and you're going too fast? Where does it hit you? In the pit of your stomach. When you get the bad news that your mom has passed away or that you've got cancer or you're losing your job, it hits you in the pit of your stomach. And that's what they were talking about in all of this. So you know how Daniel felt when this first came along. Please don't think that Daniel just heard that news and thought about the gruesome penalty that was going to come upon him and upon his friends. And he just kind of said, oh, well, no big deal. God will take care of this. Zippity-doo-dah, you know, and and go on. Uh, That's not the way. It had to have hit him hard. And so uh, in this, we're going to find out as we move on into later verses next week that God was working through this. Jesus told us that the Father is always at work. He's never idle. God is working through this, and Daniel is not on his own. While it is true that no man on earth could interpret or reveal the king's dream, but there's a God in heaven, and it is untrue that the gods, you know, when they said the gods don't dwell with flesh, well, the one true and living God sure does, doesn't he? And so Daniel was not impulsive. He sought counsel and wisdom. He took as much time as he could. You can't take forever. You've got to make some decisions. You've got to act. But he took counsel and wisdom with his uh, three friends. And these things led him. They informed him. And they even restrained him. Sometimes we can be too impulsive. And counsel and wisdom says, you know, hold back. You're being way too impatient on this. Proverbs chapter 24, verses 5 and 6. A wise man is full of strength, and a man of knowledge enhances his might. For by wise guidance you can wage your war, and in abundance of counselors there is victory. Now, of course, Solomon is talking from a king's perspective about war, but Wait a minute, aren't we always in a war? We're in a spiritual war. And Daniel was in a spiritual war, even though it had physical consequences. But here's the point of this lesson. Daniel was ready. Daniel was ready. He had been walking with God. He had been praying before this happened. He had been studying the word of God before any of this happened. He had been a faithful warrior for God in chapter one before any of this happened. So when this comes about, the king's dream, Daniel is ready. 
Daniel's ready. You know, if you're driving across the desert and uh, you look down at your gas gauge and you've got a quarter of a tank of gas and you just passed the gas station that said last gas station for 320 miles, uh, you know you're in trouble if you don't turn around and go get the gas because the tank that you put in there 300 miles ago was not going to do you any good when you are getting empty and you're moving on now. You've got to be ready for the desert, in other words. And so Daniel, let's put it like this, even though he did some things, praying and getting counsel and all of that, but he and his friends, they were ready through all of this because of what they had done and the way that they had walked. And one of the things we're going to find out through this book and through the life of Daniel is that God always is at work and God always has a plan and that Daniel is always ready for anything that comes up because he is walking with God. Now, did Daniel know any of this is going to happen? Absolutely not, but he's ready. Do you know what's going to happen in your life? No, but you can be ready and God is preparing you even now. So in this situation and in this dilemma, we're going to find out that God always does what's right and he does all things well. And guess what? When Daniel walks with God, that means he's going to do all things well, uh, well uh, as well. It's kind of a tongue tangler. And uh, the conclusion is, are you ready? Are you ready? And uh, life and culture can change rapidly. And the whims of a boss or a ruler, the inadequacy and the outright failure of others, illogical emotions and passions of unbelievers or an agenda-driven situation that you're not a part of but get caught in, caught in almost like in a net, what you do now makes you ready for what you will do then. That Bible that you either read or didn't read this morning is the answer for the problems you face in the afternoon. That church service that you didn't think mattered to you may have been the strength, the fellowship, and um, the spiritual food that you needed to make it through another situation in your life. Those times when you could have fellowship with other people, but you chose not to because you didn't think they had anything to pour into your life may have been the difference between standing or stumbling to be able to make it through or to be stuck and sidelined sometimes we feel. Paul did talk about, I buffet my body lest I be disqualified having preached to others. You know what he was saying? I better practice what I preach and more because I don't want to be set on the shelf. What is this saying? Everything we do in our life, every relationship and especially our walk with God is preparing us. It has been said that everybody is either in a storm or they're coming out of a storm, or they're heading into a storm, right? And that's the way it is. And God uses that time when we are heading into the storm to teach us and to get us ready. 
And Daniel is an impressive teenage man because it seems as though whatever he faces, he has wisdom. Where did he get the wisdom? He got it from God. And when did he get it? He got it in advance. Be ready is the theme that we have. We don't know what we are going to face. And again, we don't know who holds, a, uh, we don't know what the future holds, but we do know who holds the future, don't we? So I'm praying for you and you pray for me because we need each other and uh, that we'll be ready when the storms and when the trials come and that we'll stay together and be in unity in all of that and help each other through it as we've done so many times before. So God bless you and thank you for taking the time to consider the words that I have, but spend your time in prayer and in the word of God and make sure that you know how to present this to your class for the exaltation of the Lord Jesus Christ.